My name is Robert Schreiner, and I've just written a novel called The Wolves and the Greyhounds, and you're listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show, a behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I am Jay Franzi, and if you are new here, this is where we take a deep dive into the entertainment industry to provide you with valuable insights and entertaining stories. This week, we get to talk to a musician and a product designer. We get to talk with John Wickcore. We'll talk to him about how he got his start at Avid, when he started playing guitar, and we'll take a deep dive into his time with Iron Tiger. Now, I first met John at a DigiDesign event in Nashville. And I think it's fair to say he's the reason why I became Pro Tools certified and continue to use Avid's products to this day. I can't wait to take a peek behind the curtain of Avid, and I can't wait to talk to him about his time in Iron Tiger. So if you'd like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now let's get started. John, sir, how are you? I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks for having me on tonight. It is my pleasure, sir. I am looking forward to this. And uh, I love your outfit. You're dressed for the occasion. You know, you're representing I Boston. I love it. Well, sir, I want to just jump in, start off by telling you, you, my friend, are probably one of the reasons why I'm as deep into Pro Tools as I am. Well, Met you back in Nashville. I got Pro Tools certified at the time, and I have not stopped since, sir. So why don't you go ahead and tell me how you got started working with Avid? Absolutely. You know, I guess it started out, you know, I was, a, I was a musician. I played guitar in school and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to, to play guitar. I wanted to be in a band. Then, you know, the reality of it is like, you know, I want to make some money too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I want to go to music school. I'm going to actually go to music school and learn how to record. And it was one of the first recording programs in the States here. It was uh, UMass Lowell. Oh, yeah. uh, they had a sound recording program, and uh, I went through that. I interned at a studio called Blue Jay up here in Massachusetts, well. and I did that for a while. I actually interned for Mark Tanzer, great engineer, super great guy. A lot of long hours, a lot of long nights, and it, <laughs> it's like, guys, you know, do I want to be doing this for the rest of my life? You know, I don't know. I didn't know if that was the direction I wanted to go in. And my dad was in sales, and he was like, you know what, John? I've had a great career in sales. Why don't you look at sales? I was like, that's interesting. So uh, I ended up interning. I took another internship for a company up here called Parsons Audio. And they're a pro audio dealer. And this was in the early 90s. You know, all the major studios were still using, using tape, using two-inch machines. And we had these things called digital audio workstations that were coming out. You know, a lot of them were, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's, you know, New England Digital, there's Sonic Solutions. A lot of companies you know, had these very expensive systems that, you know, pretty limited capabilities. I mean, but pretty awesome capabilities at, at the time, you know, considering that everybody was cutting tape still with, with physical razor. So I took an internship there that turned into a job. I became the workstation guru. 
So I learned all of these workstations, the diaxis, spectral synthesis, sonic solutions, and uh, this system called Pro Tools. And believe it or not, you know, Pro Tools system was the least expensive solution on the block out of all of them. It was, you know, the goal of the company was to kind of bring this technology, I think, to the masses. And that's what we did. And you know, I ended up getting, you know, getting friendly with the, the rep from, from DigiDesign. And he was looking for somebody in New York, like a product specialist. You know, I took the leap and, and applied for the job. And it was AES. I forget what year it was. It was 90, 90 something. But it, uh, it was when we were rolling out, they were rolling out Pro Tools 2.0, which was the first application that that took like the mixer and the editor and made it into one application. Because before that, it was Pro Deck and Pro Edit. So it was two completely separate applications. And Pro Deck wasn't even made by Digital Design. It was made by a company called OSC. So we brought it together and I, I got hired at that show. And you know, kind of the rest is history. And that was my beginning of my career with Digi. That's amazing. Right. So, I mean, you started back at the first version of Pro Tools. First version of Pro Tools. And didn't it start off as mastering software, just two tracks of audio at one point? Yeah, so the first system uh, it was called Sound Tools, and it used a an application called Sound Designer, and it was it was a two track system. It was a destructive editing system. So when you edited in it, you better like it. I think there's maybe <laughs> one undo. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but you could reverse your audio. You could do you know this this stuff is like mind blowing. I mean, I I remember doing demos early on, you know, with with early versions of Pro Tools. And we'd get into a room and you would just just cut copy and paste audio and like take a song and rearrange it and move things around. And people's jaws would be on the floor and we're like, what did you what did you just do? Yeah. How'd you do that? <laughs> like, so you know, I did that for a while. I actually moved, I moved back to New England. I was in New York for a while, I moved to New England. I ended up moving down to Florida and I worked in the Southeast Territory. Then I, I became the uh, the southeastern regional regional manager. Moved to Nashville, and that's where I met you. Yep, lived there for about ten years. When I moved to Nashville, everybody, even you know, this is like two thousand still, you know, early two thousands. Most of the studios were still using tape. Yeah, and that was that was a big job. That was a big job, you know, getting out there and, and converting folks on over to, to, to pro tools. You know, it was, it was a very mixed reaction. You know, we had a lot of people that really love their tape machines still. And, you know, there was a lot of resistance fast forward to today. Right. And that's all you find pro tools town. So what else do you do for avid now? So I actually left avid for a while and I went to work for Genelec. My last role there was national sales manager for Genelec, and I learned a whole lot there about speakers. Let me tell you, people are passionate about speakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. That was a great company. Uh, I got to go to Finland a bunch of times, and I just love the people, love the company. But I had an opportunity to come back to Avid in a completely different capacity. And in the meantime, you know, I had gone back to school for my MBA. So I was kind of doing that, that part-time and, you know, getting that, that under my belt. But I got this offer to go back to Avid as a product manager. So completely different shift. I've been doing sales my entire life, but come to find out what, when you're a product manager, you have to do a lot of different things. And having that sales background is critical. 
because when you're making products and I kind of, I'm in a dual role. So I am a product designer and a product manager. So I actually come up with like a concept for a product. I write a thing called a PRD and a PRD is a product requirement document. It's essentially like a Bible about the product. You have to say everything that the product does, how it does it, software components, the hardware components, all that. But in order to do that, in order to get to the product, you have to understand customer workflow. So you have to know your customers. And that's, you know, I think having that, having that sales background and being in front of customers all the time and seeing how customers work and just keeping that interface with, with the users uh, is important to kind of go back then to the company, go back to my desk, you know, whenever it comes time to create a product. So I used to help out doing the beta testing and we used to submit our thoughts and issues we'd come up with. Is that the type of stuff you're doing when you're talking about dealing with your customers? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So yeah, we have beta testers that we pull for, for feedback. So, you know, if the product's already in, in development, you know, usually it's it's like a bug type thing, right? So the beta testers are are testing either software, or they're testing hardware, they're running it through its paces, and they're either finding a place where the product falls down, something we have to fix. Maybe it's a bug, maybe it's just something that we omitted. You know, there was something in the workflow that that isn't there. That oh, geez, yeah, yeah, you're right. We need this preference, so we have to go back in and and create that preference. So then I have to then go talk to the engineers. You know, we have hardware engineers and we have software engineers sit down with them and find out, okay, what's, what's possible because sometimes you get some great ideas of things you want to do, but the technology can only, only go so far. And especially when you're, you're talking about price, you know, you want to keep things at a, at a certain, certain price. Of course you want to put everything in there, right? You want it to be like the super product, but you have to kind of scale it one way or another. You've met everybody in Nashville. I mean, you're in a position where you provide a tool that every single person in Nashville uses. I mean, everybody around the world at this point is using it. It's the industry standard. At that time in Nashville, I mean, you were that connection. So when you're out there in the field and you're talking to these engineers, is that where you're getting the ideas or the the request from them? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I guess it depends on, on the product. You know, if, uh, when you're talking about like pro tools and advanced features and things like that, you're going to go to the, the A-list engineers that are using the product in, in these really, you know, critical situations, you know, they have an artist or a producer or somebody sitting right there. It has to work a certain way and they're going to give us feedback and uh, that's why we have a customer association as well. We have something called the ACA and there's actually a Nashville chapter of the ACA, but it's made up of users and they'll come in and we'll have these meetings and they'll tell us their war stories and let us know, you know, about things maybe that went well, maybe some things that <laughs> didn't go so well that week, you know, and things that we can work on and, and improve and, and give them. I don't think a lot of people understand just how how fast-paced Nashville is. And when you're working with a producer and you've got the band in the studio and everybody is focused on getting a job done in a certain period of time. And to be the person sitting there pressing the buttons and praying that everything goes the way it's supposed to go. I've worked it. I've seen it all. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I know exactly what they can expect. Mm-hmm. So can you give me an example of that, something that you've done recently? Yeah. So um, my first product that I've kind of managed and designed and everything from from soup to nuts is the new Mbox Studio. And, you know, if your listeners maybe know of some of the previous Mbox products, you know, that's kind of it was kind of our intro into the home personal studio space market. We had the original Mbox released like 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. And we had like three generations of, of Mbox after that. So we kind of got out of that space for a while. And that was one of the reasons I got hired back is we wanted to get back into that, into that space and offer a piece of hardware that works with, with Pro Tools and also works with any DAW. It works with Logic. It works with Cubase. It works with Reaper, Mac, and PC. It's even iOS compatible. So you can, you can hook it up to your iPhone and that's pretty use cool. it with BandLab or you know, <laughs> probably use it with the new, the new Logic that's coming out, right, for the iPad. Yeah, so that's the first product that I've, uh, that I've, I've worked on. It's a desktop interface. Um, it sounds amazing. We have another product that I'm actually the product manager for called Carbon. And Carbon is uh, it's a step up. It's a hybrid DSP system. We have another product called HDX, which is a pure DSP-based system. And you work within DSP. It's The DSP gives you power on demand. It's not scalable in the sense that you're relying upon all your computer processing to to run different effects and things. You have like a dedicated DSP. You know you're going to get dedicated performance or uh, consistent performance. So the carbon system kind of takes some of that DSP and applies it to the tracking process. So when you're tracking, a lot of times with uh, interfaces, a USB interface, you're going to deal with latency. So carbon allows you to put the DSP on a per track basis, and it works kind of like an analog mixer where you don't have any latency at all. So you're tracking a band. The band doesn't hear any kind of latency when they're tracking. So the MBOX uses a lot of the technology from the carbon system as far as like the mic preamps, the audio circuitry. We have a thing called variable Z, which is a variable impedance, which gives you different tonalities and things. But we incorporate some of that technology into the MBOX, and it's a lower-cost system. It's under $1,000. comes with... A subscription to Pro Tools comes with a subscription to Sibelius, which is our notation product. It's a great way to get into Pro Tools. And also it's very open-ended, so you can use it with just about anything out there. There's actually a lot of podcasters that have adopted it because it sounds so so good. It's a good way to up your up your audio quality for for podcasting. That's pretty cool. Looks like it's a beautiful piece of equipment. It looks really nice. I like it a lot. I, I actually, I have this one. I have my my See, production yeah, piece show on my desk, but this is my this is my uh, Eddie Van Halen yeah. striped. That's up. the one you're sending to me. Is that what you said? This will be the one I send to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. You can see, it's got a got a ton of ton of connectivity on there. I like it, and it's a monitor controller, so it controls your your speaker levels and allows you to switch between multiple sets of speakers. Has Bluetooth in and out. You can stream your Bluetooth audio from your phone directly into Pro Tools or whatever DAW you want, and you can hook up AirPods to this, so you can you can monitor your um, your mix through your AirPods. So if you want to you want to check out your uh, check out your mix and how it sounds in the AirPods or in your car. If your car is close enough, you can Bluetooth your your car stereo, and then you can use Avid Control on your iPhone and control <laughs> Pro Tools and 
That's just mixing funny. your car. I was just telling somebody <laughs> just the other day, my ideal world would be able to be to finish my mix in the car itself. Now you can do it. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. Oh, my wife's going to things like me. that. It's like work, it's workflow. You know, you kind of think like you got these cool features like Bluetooth, but you know, how would somebody use that? Is it like, you don't, you just don't want to have something on there. That's, that's like, yeah, you know what? That's, that's just a, it's a thing to sell, sell the box. Right. It's actually useful. <laughs> well, I have Bluetooth on this device over here, but all it does is it allows me to take a phone call. You know, it's not allowing me to mix in my car. Right. <laughs> oh, that would be, that would be awesome. So once you've come up with this idea from soup to nuts, can you walk me through the process of what your steps were to put this together? Yeah, sure. So the first thing is basically going out and doing the competitive analysis. So you want to you want to see um, you know what the the competition is doing. You want to go and kind of find out what the you know what the users are, are saying about these products, what they like, what they don't like. And you want to uh, create some focus groups, hold some focus groups, talk to people. You know, I talk to students, talk to professional users, talk to bedroom producers, the whole gamut. You want to talk to a bunch of different people and find out what what do they want? You know, what what gets them excited? And, you know, I had some ideas, general ideas, because, you know, I mean, I actually built this for myself. I think that's the most important thing. When you build a product, you want to get excited about it yourself. Obviously, I'm a guitar player. I had a vision for a product that I wanted that would do everything I needed to do. So you take these ideas and then you, you bounce them off other people, even just people within a company. Because in Avid, I mean, a lot of the uh, a lot of the people that are here are musicians or you know actually use use the the products that we we make. So talk to my my peers and and colleagues and kind of get their feedback and then you kind of put it all together and then you get to a point where like, okay, this is the product. And then you got to find out, okay, well, can we actually make this and can we make it for the price that we want to sell it for? So it's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of iterations back and forth. So you come up with the price first. Yeah. Kind of came up with, with the general, general price of where, where we need to be. And that's all part of that competitive analysis. Right. See what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And find out what, you know, what's moving, you know, what, what's the sweet spot. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when you're putting this together, what are some of the challenges you come across? Oh, geez. Well, I tell you, it was probably the most challenging time to build a hardware product <laughs> these last few years. If, uh, you know, with supply chain uh, issues, anybody following the news, you know, you're like these car manufacturers, you know, they, they like GM had all these, all these trucks, you know, lined up that they couldn't deliver because they didn't have chips to get these things to the dealers. And I know uh, there's some car manufacturers that actually de-featured some of the cars just to ship them out. Like, yep. all right, yeah, this one doesn't need heated steering wheel. Let's get it out there. <laughs> and people were still paying the money for the, you know, heated steering wheel because they needed cars. And, and uh, yeah, it's crazy time. So, and then for us in the audio industry, there, there was one other thing that was a challenge. There was a, uh, a chip factory, AKM chip factory that burned down. And they supply a lot of chips, a lot of uh, like converter chips and that sort of thing for audio, audio products. So all of a sudden these chips weren't available 
and every you know every manufacturer that's using these chips is like scurrying to try to find replacements <laughs> and and it was just a super super challenging time so there there was quite a few times where uh it had to change things you know in in the design to kind of work with with products what got left out well you know what nothing did get left out which is the the miracle yeah, we got everything. I got everything I wanted in there. We just had to go to different, go to a different plan to get there. Wow, that's going to be tough, right? Especially being the first product you're going to take on from start to finish, and then somebody throws a curveball at you and says, "Well, mm-hmm. you can do it, but we're going to tie your hands behind your back." You know, when you're dealing with um, a product that that um, is software and hardware too, that that's always that's always a challenge because you have different people working on different pieces of the, of the puzzle. And with a product like the Mbox studio, there's a processor inside of it. So there's firmware that lives on that processor. So we need engineers to, to develop for that firmware. And then you need engineers to actually build the box, but then we have software. So there's a software component that runs on the computer. So three completely different teams that kind of have to be in sync with each other. And, you know, that was another, another challenge is our, uh, our software team at Avid, a uh, good portion of them are in uh, the Ukraine. And I tell you, talk about people that are dedicated and have work ethic. I, I have the utmost respect for our, our team in, in Kiev. Once the war started and things, you know, we, we didn't know what was going to happen and, right. you know, we're, we're just prepped to like, just stop, like stop everything. And amazingly enough, these folks still wanted to work. I can't imagine it. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive that they do it, but I can't imagine under these circumstances that anybody's thinking about going to work. Yeah. And these are my, my friends, you know, people I talk to, talk to right. pretty much on a daily basis and air raid sirens going off and like, you know, they have to like, okay, well, looks like there's something going on and we're going to be offline and you're wondering, you know, just making sure, you know, you want everybody to be safe. And, and, uh, but yeah, amazing, amazing people. And, and, uh, yeah, we got out a pretty amazing product at the end. So it was, it was great. So, is part of your job seeing the project through from start to finish, like managing the different departments and orchestrating the whole communication piece? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you're a uh, when you're a product manager, you have the product lifecycle management. So you're essentially are managing the life of the product from the very beginning. So from the point where that that PRD is written, all the way to the end of the end of the life of the product. So after, you know, the product has been out, you know, however many years and, and it's run its course, and then you come out with the next iteration of that product or next generation. So you're, you're basically just managing the entire life of that product. So it's an interesting job. I mean, it's, it never gets boring, <laughs> never gets boring. You know, so I, I would say some of the, um, some of the phases are, are probably more fun than, than others. You know, I'm a creative person, so I really enjoy like the creation of the product. I love that. 
you know, you're always, your brain is always going and like, you're, you're thinking about, Oh, can I do this a different way? I just can't wait to kind of, kind of get back and talk to people and, and brainstorm and, and, uh, and, and then, and when you finally see this thing, I mean, you're giving birth to this, the product, I mean, it starts from nothing, right? It's really literally like an idea. And then the prototypes start coming in and the software, you know, it, it starts as like a blank window and you, you know, maybe have a couple little things up here and then all of a sudden it starts populating it growing and, growing. And, and it, and it grows and it looks like the, the mock-ups I've done and it's, it's cool. It's cool when it all comes together and then you finally have it. And then it's a big race at the end. You've got a market launch and you have all these milestones you have to hit market launch for Mbox studio was a yes in new york so that was the big that was the big reveal and it was it was cool it was cool you know that was a it was a really it was a fun time that the show was great we had a lot of activity around a booth and i just i just enjoyed being there so much and just seeing people go by and experience this thing and get excited about it and it's like wow yeah you know i did that that's that's pretty cool no i mean that's going to be an amazing feeling i mean for you to put something together from start to finish and be your first product and then see it on the floor of AES and have people come by and show interest in it has got to be an amazing feeling. Absolutely. Now that it's out, yep. what are your next steps with it? So now, once you do the, the go-to-market, so the go-to-market is that big initial splash, right? So you do press releases, you reach out to the media, like it, AES, you know, a lot of the media is at AES, so they'll come by, you'll do interviews, you know, you send units out for review. Mix Mix Magazine did a review, Tape Op did a review, Sound on Sound, Recording did the did the latest one. So you get all these outlets and get it, and and they do a, re- a review. And luck, I mean, every single review that's come back so far has been stellar, which is great. I mean. That's a good feeling because you're always like, oh, well, you know, you know, you don't know, right? It's a big, it's a surprise. But every review that's come back has been great. But you get these reviews, and then you got to come up with this ongoing marketing plan because you got to sustain the marketing of the product, right? You got, you have to kind of keep it in front of people. And we, we at Avid, we have a, a sales channel, so we work with with sales partners, and then they do marketing. Like one of our one of our partners, uh, Westlake Pro, they just did a, a video with uh, uh, Troy Van Leeuwen from uh, the guitar player from Queens of the Stone Age, which is really cool. And it's, it's just this video showing about how to how he records guitars with with the Mbox Studio and using his stomp boxes and that sort of thing. So we, you know, our, our partners help us with the marketing, but then we also do our own our own marketing. Um, and we create video content. We create training content. I think training is a really big part of it because the stuff can can use some demystifying, you know, sometimes, you know, in, in, in any kind of technology. So I think having like videos and different tutorials and things out there for people to easily access to see that, oh, this, yeah, I can do that. This is exactly what I need. It's going to get the job done that I need to do. And, and, and I can do it. Here's all the steps. You know? Right. Well, I think you're 100% right. I think, especially in the world of Pro Tools, it's like looking behind the curtain. And they build it up in their head much more than it, it probably really is. And then when they get their hands on things, they realize it is obtainable and it is something they can do. 
I mean, I can remember even back to the early days of the 001, I have the promo videos for those still to this day. I think they're on my shelf in the, in the other room here. I remember just watching those and kind of saying, okay, well, yeah, that makes more sense now. So do you plan on putting something together like that? Yeah, we well, we actually have a whole uh, we have a whole page of videos. Oh, really? So you already have them out? Yeah, when you go to the landing page for Mbox Studio, there's there's a few tabs, but there's one called uh, Getting Started, and you click on the Getting Started tab, and there's a whole bunch of videos that that come up. And we had a bunch re- um, that were ready for launch. So right when we launched, kind of had a whole bunch of videos ready to go that we posted. But we've done a few additional ones since kind of getting familiar with it and working with QMixes and setting up your monitoring. What's the variable Z thing I was talking about, how to record drums, how to link up two of them together. If you want to record a band. That's pretty cool. It's actually very cool. I remember the, the double one video, I think it was where it was recording a band in a house. Yep. Yeah, I, I actually have a VHS copy of that video. Yeah. I think I've, I think I have a VHS and a DVD, if I'm not mistaken. It's pretty sad, I know. I'm old. But, we both are, Jay. But we're looking good. We're doing all right. And tell my wife, please. The technology, it moves so fast. I mean, there's constantly something else coming around the corner. How are you future-proofing this? Well, I mean, I think you always got to be looking for, you know, what's what's next, right? But then also when you when you develop a, a product, you you want to um, you know, there there's things that when you release the product, I mean, it's not necessarily the end of the development of the product. There's a lot of things that we can do. We're actually coming out with updates for Mbox Studio for instance, that'll, that'll allow to do other, other things like the next update will be surround monitoring because, you know, immersive is pretty big now and being able to, you know, be a, like a bedroom producer and, and be able to dabble in, you know, the surround I think is, is a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. Or um, for uh, video editing suites is another, another big thing. We're showing this in use, we're actually qualifying it for use with uh our media composer. So on the video side of Avid, we have a product called Media Composers, which is essentially the the pro tools of, of video. But you can use this with with that. And a lot of those workflows, those are all surround surround workflows. So but yeah, you know, there there's there's with hardware, you know, you 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 use what's available, you know, to today is so but things are always changing. So that's you know, you have to uh you have to always be, you know, kind of keeping an eye out about what the new technologies are. And I tell you, like AI today, right? Talking about new technology, you got to stay on top of it. Jeez, that's changing every day. It's amazing, too. I mean, I find it to be amazing. And I look for all the positives that you could do with it. But I can also see all the negatives that can be done with it, too. So we'll see what's going to happen over the next year or so. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I joke, you know, I'm gonna develop the, you know, the the Mixbot, you know, three thousand, right? And you just kind of just put your tracks put your in, tracks and, until you know, it kind of goes floor. like this, and <laughs> it's gonna happen. Spits out the perfect. Ma- I mean, that's kind of where we're at. It's 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 pretty wild. They have AI mastering now, so yeah. I don't know if you listen to uh, Rick Beato at all, but oh yeah, he's posted some some interesting 
videos kind of talking about like the music writing side of things and the publishing, you know, how, how, you know, how is that going to play in play into that and rights? While we switch over and talk about music, I want to take a deeper dive into you as a guitar player in the band that you're playing in, because I find it fabulous. It's awesome to me. So let's start with your guitar playing. Can you tell us how that started for you? Yeah. Yeah. So geez, probably like three years old, three, four years old. My dad had these like Glenn Campbell records and I latched on a rhinestone cowboy. I just love that song. <laughs> I don't know what it was, you know, and, and I had to have a guitar. They bought me like this, like stuffed guitar. Right. And I played it like, like a lefty. <laughs> and then he was like, Oh, maybe we need to get him a real guitar. Right. And so I, you know, I got a student guitar and they signed me up for guitar lessons and I took guitar lessons and then, you know, went into junior high and kind of my art teacher was super cool. And, he played guitar and he had a telly and he had an amp and he had like a distortion box. And I was like, wow, what's this? Yeah. That's kind of when I discovered rock and roll and electric guitar. And yeah, I just got way into it. I, I, I just loved it. It, um, it upped my coolness level <laughs> in junior high. <laughs> of course. There you go. <laughs> the unpopular kid to like, Oh, he plays guitar. Wow. <laughs> so, um, no, it was great. And uh, I got into recording. I actually got a got a Porta Studio, four track Tascam Porta Studio. So that's how I got into recording. I had a TR626 drum machine. But yeah, so I was thinking about what am I going to do? I really, you know, I played in bands and stuff in, in junior high and I, I kind of lived down the sticks. So, like, the population of other guitar players wasn't very, you know, high. <laughs> it was like one of a, one of a few. And um, I had to learn a lot on my own. Like I didn't, you know, anytime I got together with another guitar player, I think I realized now how much I learned playing with other, other people and watching other players. But all I had was like, you know, watching Eddie Van Halen live without a net and watching, watching him, you know, and uh, I didn't have that interaction. Right. But when I went to college, that's when that changed. And I, all of a sudden I was around all these amazing players. I'm like, wow, these guys are good. And then, you know, I got into, a, got into a couple bands, had a couple of original bands. And then, you know, I actually didn't play for a while. When I was working for DigiDesign and had a family, had, had kids, you know. And as, as it happens, you know, the guitars become wall hangers. And one day I went and picked one up and it was like, I was like coughing because of all the dust that came off of it. There was just a time I, I, when we moved back up to New England, I was like, you know what? I need to get playing again. And I started playing in cover bands. And I played in this uh, two cover bands, and we just played like dance, rock, you know, the run-of-the-mill stuff. I'm like, I did that for quite a few years. And I kind of got to the point, I was like, you know, I'm just getting really burned out on playing this music. And this is just not the type of music that I listen to. And you can tell by the guitars, I'm a child of the 80s. You know, I love all the shredder, you know, hair metal stuff. You know, it, you know Eddie Van Halen, George Lynch, Warren Martini. And I was like, this is what I need to do. I need to create Iron Tiger. And that's where I'm at now. So you just cut your hair, what, last week? Yeah, I just cut. Yeah, it grows really fast. I mean, it's between gigs. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, we. I started this band in, in the, the middle of the pandemic. 
So nobody was playing anywhere, <laughs> but we practiced. We were able to get together and practice and went through a few different drummers and we ended up with Dan and we have such a great time with it. And what we do, it's, it's a eighties hair metal tribute. We don't tribute just any one band. We, we kind of do the whole gamut and that, that keeps it interesting. You know, we can, we can do the Motley Crue and the Skid Row and the Rat and the Poison and the Bon Jovi, but then we do a lot of, you know, maybe deeper cuts. We do like XYZ, the Electric Boys, you know, we do the Bolt Boys. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I saw a rat in your neck of the woods. It's talking about the Worcester Centrum. Yeah, right down the road. Yeah. yeah. What was your first show down there? Oh, there, I'm not sure what the first one was. My first one overall was Journey at the Boston Garden with Billy Squire as the opener. Oh, wow. What what year was that? 82 or 3. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was uh, Dio. Oh, yeah. Ronnie James Dio, Sacred Heart Tour, 1985 at the Worcester Centrum. And Rough Cut opened up for him. Dude, I was at the Worcester Centrum <laughs> probably every other week. I mean, I saw everything. In all the hair metal bands you're talking about, I, I went to see, you know, Rat, White Snake, you know, all of them. It was awesome. We probably we probably saw each other there. I'm sure Still we did. See that? <laughs> so you you put this band together. I mean, it's a great image, by the way. I mean, I love it. It's, <laughs> it looks awesome. It just reminds me of everything that I grew up with. So um, what's it like? What places you're playing at? What, what's going on with it? Well, this particular gig, this is at a place called The Vault. One of the people that, that I, I met when I was in Nashville, and we become really good friends, is uh, Kip Winger. Oh, yeah. So Kip and Kip and, and the whole Winger band, they were, they were coming to play, play The Vault, and they had us open up for them. So we do the, some of those types of shows. We're opening up maybe for like a, a, a national-type act. But then we do, you know, we do our own shows. You know, we, we, uh, we have a place here called Rascals, which is like a 500-seat venue that, that we play like a, three, four times a year. Yeah, we just, people come on out. I tell you, it's great. They, they love the genre. I mean, there's people, people our age, quite a few people our age. <laughs> but I tell you, there's quite a few people in their 20s that come out and love it and know every single word. Russ, our lead singer, I'm like, Russ, don't mess up the lyrics on this because that kid down there knows every right, one, knows every one, one of them. <laughs> That's fun. It's growing up in that area. I mean, these were all the bands that I used to go see, you know, Fortune, Sly Boys, Extreme. Oh, yeah. I mean, all those. I used to go see them all the time. I mean, I was going to high school with the, the guitar player from Fortune. Most. Fortune is still around. Yeah. I used to hire Bob to sing all the demos that I would write. And Bob was awesome. I mean, Bob's got that Journey, Queensryche type voice to him. And I used to bring him in and he'd sing all these Journey-style ballads for me. It was kind of cool. Yeah, he's a fantastic singer. Bob is amazing. I love Bob. Yeah. They open up for some great people, too, and they play some pretty big shows. But I used to work at um, Narcissus in Boston. Mm -hmm. And Bob's band used to come in and play. So it was was pretty cool. And Bob was... I mean, this is going to be become a, a nostalgia show here, but Bob was um, the captain of my hockey team at high school. So he played hockey, and he played hockey just as good as he sings. So it's, he right. just has too much talent, too much talent for one person. <laughs> but, so, so many, um, so many great clubs in in Boston that are just not there anymore. I should, we just went to see Sticks. 
Oh yeah. There's a new venue called MGM at Fenway. It's right there, kind of on lands down street and that, that whole area. But you know, it used to be the rat, yep. Axis, Mommikins, Narcissus. Yep. Um, they're all they're, all those clubs are gone now. Yeah, the rat was what, right across the street from Narcissus, Kenmore Square. Yeah, yeah right in Kenmore Square. Yeah. Yeah. No, good times. Yeah. Now you mentioned playing you're playing Saturday in my hometown in Peabody. Yep. So what can I expect when I come to your show? Because I'm going to come to your show. I'm going to tell the wife right now I'm coming to your show on Saturday. So what can I expect? High energy rock and roll from the 80s, you know, all the hair metal hits and some, uh, some, some you know, deeper cuts thrown in. And, uh, yeah, you're going to get the full, the full show, hair, spandex, the whole nine. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome wife i don't know if you're listening but i'm going out of town i'm going to go see these guys play on saturday <laughs> like it or not here i go love it no that's F355 awesome 355 is the name of the club 355 i'll, I'll do that yep. so what's next for the band you know we're we're just starting to pick up pick up steam you know we're we're actually doing a lot of um private events which are great we we, we just got uh booked to do a 40th uh high school uh, reunion. This is going to be pretty, pretty phenomenal. So we're going to have to do some of the earlier, earlier eighties hits, maybe some Van Halen. We might have to make some excursions maybe into the, the late seventies. We'll do some like thin Lizzie or something. <laughs> That's funny. You know, the, the band it's, it's all about fun. I mean, it's, it's none of our, our, our main gig to say, you know, but, but it's, uh, That's what makes have it to fun. do it. You know, I mean, that's, that's why, that's why I got into this whole business to begin with, you know, was, was playing guitar and was listening to that Glenn Campbell record and, you know, getting inspired to play guitar. And, you know, that's, that's, I, you have to keep on doing it. You know, you have to keep on getting back to your, your craft and, and, uh, and play. It's important. All right, sir. Well, we have this thing here we do called Unsung Heroes, where we take a look at somebody who's working behind the scenes, maybe support you in some way. Is there somebody that you'd like to shine a little light on? Oh, yeah. Well, I got two people for sure. I mean, my mom, number one, she is uh, she's my rock. And, uh, you know, she's supported me all the, all the way from the beginning, from the, the guitar lessons and, and uh, you know, putting up with, uh, you know, the band practicing in the, in the house and, and uh i loud loud guitar all the time but yeah she's always there for me and she's great and then my fiance stacy lynn she is just huge support mechanism for me and is always there you know keep me going and uh it's not always easy you know life is hard you have a, you have a dream gig i mean i have i have a dream gig but it's it's uh it gets it gets tough sometimes you know and and uh you know you need you need somebody there to support you well, that's true. I always say that, you know, my wife, as much as I pick on her, she she's there for support. But spending so much time in this industry, and it's a tough industry to be in. It's a tough industry to rely on and raise a family and so forth. And I've watched my career go from, you know, writing songs, engineering and producing and working for producers in Nashville and then doing demos. And So it's just kind of always just flowing around and dancing around it. And having somebody who's willing to understand what's going to come next, I, mean, I can see that. That's definitely a, definitely um, support right there. 
My daughter is 13, or just turned 13, and she wanted to start playing guitar, so I went out and bought her a Stratocaster. And the reason we got the Stratocaster is, well, she liked the color. <laughs> you know, she, we went to um, Guitar Center and let her pick out whatever whatever she wanted, and she liked this. It's kind of like an aqua green coloring. But she loved it, and she loved the way it felt and fit on her, you know, when she sat down and put it on her leg and stuff, and she really liked it. And then, like, maybe maybe a month after she got the guitar, we went to a convention, and she saw a guitar they were giving away. They were giving away two things, a guitar and a fire pit. And you scan a QR code, and you could win one. So she wanted to scan that thing so bad. So she scanned it, had me scan it. We, you know, scanned it, put my wife's phone number, my other daughter's phone number. So she wanted wanted to win it. So she went up and asked them, you know, how many people are entering this thing? And they're like, well, probably a few hundred thousand. And she's like, oh, she goes, dad, I probably got a 0.0005% chance of winning. I'm like, well, just don't get your hopes up. You know, just so she goes back to the guy, when's the drawing? He's like, it'll be Monday. So there it is. Wow. <laughs> she won She it. got it. She did. And That's it's amazing. An, it's another Stratocaster. It's identical it. to the one she has, but just a, just a different color. Well, that's I just bought that red one just because it's red. Yeah. It came up on Reverb. I'm like, I've been looking for a Rocket Red Charvel. They haven't been out. One came up. I'm like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So now I got to sign her up for lessons and I took her down. I didn't realize these were real places, but I took her down in here in the Cincinnati area. They have the school of rock. Oh, great. Yeah. So she's signed up for the school of rock. She's going to start taking lessons and playing in their band in the whole nine yards. Oh. I mean, it was an impressive place. I don't know if you've ever been in one, but we went, took a tour of it. All these little kids playing in a band and stuff. It was pretty cool. That's fantastic. How, how old is she? She just turned 13. 13. Perfect. Yeah. I have a, a 13, an 8, and a 1. So I'm too old to be having kids. And wife, if you're listening to this, I'm too old to be having kids. <laughs> but yeah, so 13, 8, and 1. The 13-year-old plays saxophone in, in the school band, but she wants to play guitar. And, and she's mm-hmm. listening to the Arctic Monkeys as her band of choice at the moment. Cool. So we're going to be going to Nashville to check out the Arctic Monkeys. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take it. And then the uh, the eight-year-old wants to play drums, so we'll, we'll see if I can stomach that. You can have a whole band. Yeah. <laughs> then we can go get the other one playing bass, and we're all set. <laughs> That's too funny. Sir, I can't thank you enough for coming on here tonight. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. I mean, I'm honored to be here. Any final words you'd like to leave us with? You know what? Just... Uh, Follow your passions. I think that's uh, the most important thing, whatever it is. It's work, but it doesn't feel like work as much when you're passionate about it. Now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. John truly has created an amazing product, and it's a product that we'll probably all use every day for the near future. In his band, I had a chance to see his band play this week. Oh my God, are they amazing. I can't stress it enough. If you ever get the chance to see them play, you have to see them play. So please join me in giving John a big thanks for joining us this week and sharing his stories. And thank you for taking the time to hang with me here. I really do appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. 
You can do that and find links to everything mentioned over at jfrenzy.com slash episode 13. Thank you again for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.